it's really important to understand that the total defense it consists of two parts. And one is, of course, having guns in order to deter your opponent. But you have to have a, um, a population who is prepared to, to do a lot of sacrifice. This is Morgan Olofsson from Sweden. We've spent a lot of time uh, building up the military defense again. But we haven't spent as much time and money on, on, on the civilian side of how to create a civil defense. Morgan is the head of communications for the Swedish Civil Contingencies Agency. The agency is responsible for civil protection, public safety, emergency management and civil defense. And the Swedish example Morgan highlights resonates in many countries. Countries that may have lived in peace for decades, but now have a new need for defending themselves. A country might be able to arm itself with military hardware rather quickly, but many governments have forgotten the vital role of civil defense. In this episode, we examine the importance of involving civil society in the resistance to threats or even attacks, how to organize it, how to ensure there's a will to fight, in short, how to build a resilient society. I'm Josefine Folkwarts, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. Not all of us can be in the army, so we should find another place. That's why we started to talk about... Uh, Uh, development and reform of our Rifleman Union. It's a non-governmental association. It's, uh, it's uh, I would say, a possibility for everybody who have some specific capabilities to find his role in the defense. This is Lurinas Kasyunas. He's a member of the Lithuanian parliament. We have combat-ready riflemen, but uh, we have commandants riflemen, but also people who are Uh, are good in IT, engineering, medicine. They should also could have a possibility to have their role. Lurinus is explaining what they're doing in Lithuania to build a strong civil defense. My vision is to include at least active part of a society in the multi-domain structures. At least two or three hundred thousand people in Lithuania who always ask how I can contribute could find Well, it's, it's, it's role. Along with Morgan, Lurinus is participating in a Nordic Talks event taking place in Vilnius and arranged by the Nordic Council of Ministers in Lithuania. Lurinus is positive about the progress of the Lithuanian efforts. But none of it would work without the determination on the part of the Lithuanian people. The most important thing is will to defend. The occupiers... The enemy wins not when, only when they raising their flags, but when they break your will to defend. And this willingness to defend one's country is clearly present in Lithuania as well as in other Nordic and Baltic countries. Recently, the populations in the five Nordic countries as well as in three autonomous regions in the Nordics, Greenland, Faroe Islands and Orland, were asked in the World Values Survey if they were willing to fight for their country. In all countries, the response was very positive. Between 75 and 87% answered yes. In Sweden, for example, 
the figure is 86%. Many Swedes are willing to take up either arms or any other way of, of helping out if war would come, at least in theory. 86% say that they are willing to actually prepare to um, risk their lives in order to, to deter and invade them. But I think one should put an emphasis that total defense and uh, handling any crisis, it consists of two parts. One is the capability of doing it. The other is the, the belief that we can do it. And the other part is uh, almost as, as important as the first. If, if you have the tools, the arms, whatever you have, and you don't believe that you can defend yourself, you are actually defenseless, I would say. So working with, with, with the psychological side of it and, and getting to understand your part in it. According to Morgan, it's important to thoroughly brief the public about why the government is asking people to help. From our side, it's really important to involve our population in this. And we can follow on an almost weekly basis how people uh, react to the information they get. Uh, not only react, but how they actually handle the information. Do they change their behavior? Because behavior is the key to this. Uh, we have the knowledge. We often have the attitudes right. But do we actually do what's supposed to be done? And mentioning this, 200 years of peace and 500 years of an independent country, can we be sure that Sweden would actually do what they say they would? Well, the pandemic showed that giving them information it actually made eight out of 10 following the recommendations, even though they were not mandatory, even though there was no, you know, no one went to jail if you didn't wash your hands or if you didn't follow the other, the other recommendations. And that, I, I would say that's um, top notch. Morgan admits that authorities in the Nordics have an advantage compared to many other countries. It is easy for us, and it goes for Finland as well, in, in we have a high trust in our institutions and a high trust in each other as human beings. And I would say if, if something could be, and I don't know how that lesson is to be done, but together we could work on it. How do you create a society where you actually trust each other and, and a society where you actually trust your institutions? Because we know from research, and we do quite a lot of research into behavioral studies into this, that for in order for an individual to follow an institution, the individual needs to trust in that institution. And we put quite a lot of burden on each and every Swede out there and everyone who were in, within our borders. And in order for them to make that sacrifice, you need to be sure that the institutions, the politicians, do their share. Otherwise, it's impossible. Also participating in this talk is Lisa Telomboika from Finland. She's an ambassador for countering hybrid threats at the Ministry for Foreign Affairs. And speaking about trust, Lisa emphasizes the importance of governments being able to count on its people. First, I think the, the governments must, must see that the society is united, that there are no big holes or differences in the society because the more united you are as a society, and there comes also in the trust, the more stronger you are to defend whatever threat it is, whether it's migration or, or misinformation or cyber attacks or election interference. 
you know, these are all these hybrid threats that uh, uh, can, uh, can hit us. The Finnish government involves civil society in a comprehensive way. We have a system in Finland where our national emergency security agency is uh, having a, a very big uh, organization, companies, uh, newspapers, uh, organizations to train and to involve them in the whole of society approach to security and, and uh, protection. Um, then also we have a training program. I think uh, that's the National Defense College who trains both locally and at the national level on a three-week uh, course uh, about uh, uh, tens of thousands of decision makers, local actors, journalists, uh, civil servants, uh, even even church people. So it's it's a system that we have created. I'm born 61, and this system was built up 61. Uh, at 61, so it's pretty old, actually. But I can live with that. I am happy it exists since 61. As we can hear from the Finnish example, creating a strong civil defense is a long and continuous process. At the same time, it's not exactly cheap to build and maintain. But is this just a price that has to be paid? Here's Morgan. I think first and foremost, Morgan has to be transparent by the fact that we will never, ever be prepared to pay for avoiding every crisis because it will be horrendously expensive. And the sacrifices we would do in order to, you know, avoid everything would be a very miserable life. Crossing a, a, a zebra crossing in the street, for instance, should be avoided in that case because it might happen in an accident if you follow my, my thought here. So I think one part of it is to understand that we don't, we don't live in a perfect society. There will be accidents, there will be crises, but I, I would absolutely want to avoid all of this. But we have to admit to ourselves that it's not possible. The risk if we try to do that is that we will lose the belief in the capability because it, it, it is about the gap here the gap that every citizen in that case expects from society. If we say that we can avoid all the crises, can you imagine how the distrust that will stem from that the day the crisis hits? So I think the first step is actually to admit that we cannot prevent all crises. We will do our uttermost together as a society, the Finnish way is the Swedish way as well, uh, to minimize. Try to avoid the crisis that we can avoid and minimize the consequences of the ones we can't. But I think strongly that we should not pretend that we can, can create a perfect society. It has been tried from time to time by human beings to create perfect societies. It often ends with burning books and people. Lisa emphasizes the importance of everybody understanding why something is being done. In the Nordics, this is an important part of the contract between society and authorities. But actually, this is something people across the entire world would want. There is a country in Europe, not Finland, um, where there is a saying that uh, when a child starts talking, it's not mama or papa or kaka or something, it's why. That's the first word, why. 
Uh, and that was, uh, it's a little bit exaggerated, of course, but that was somehow, for me, uh, quite an interesting word, this child is uh, saying, because it, he or she doesn't take for granted everything, but wants to know why we do this. Morgan agrees. Why should we defend our country? And that is, of course, our values, uh, what kind of society we have. For me, it is the why question is the most important. And what we're talking about, civil, total defense, is the how. How to defend the values. And it's very, very good of you to point that out, because often I, I think in discussions like these, we miss out the why question. We should have more kids here asking, why do you talk about total defense? And, and, or a, a grown-up who still has the perception that he can ask the question why. And it is the democracy. It is the society uh, that we live in, that you fought so hard to get where you, what you have now. And, 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 and for, for Swedes, at least, it, it is to understand that, that, that for us what is a theoretical threat is, is actually imminent and present. Uh, and, and not something that is, is just a, a fairy tale or something that uh, Tolkien wrote or something, that it is actually here and now. Uh, and, and, and what happened, the pandemic and then and the war in Europe has really waken us up. So if you have a resilient society, it's easier to deal with a new situation like the one Morgan describes. And to achieve a high degree of resilience, it's actually necessary to think several generations ahead. That's why Finland has a strong focus on educating the next generation. Young people should get society's values under their skin, and they should also learn to see through propaganda in the media. The more a person can uh, make a difference between facts and fake, uh, the stronger his or her own capability is to take care of himself or herself, family, uh, municipality, uh, work, uh, whatever is needed for people to, to feel good. For example, this media literacy is something we uh, work a lot. We have a whole program that starts from kindergartens, goes to schools, goes to universities, uh, goes to chief editors, we discuss with them. So this is, uh, I think, one thing we have learned with this crisis now in, in Ukraine, what, what all the news there are, and they are spread uh, through social media. Lying is not a crime, but uh, it can do a lot of harm. As a member of the Lithuanian parliament, Lurinus is watching the public debate closely. He sees a similar danger in the spreading of lies in his country but he underlines the right to freedom of speech and that there must be room for different views. The most important thing, when you debate, you have discussions inside of a country, uh, you have political opponents, ideological opponents, but the most important thing, not to make them enemies. You can keep them as an opponent, you can try to convince them, you can mobilize your base of supporters, but do not to make your opponents as an enemy. If you put him as an enemy, you are uh, trying to throw him from uh, your statehood. So this is my idea is to find the national idea, national identity, in where very conservative young person who is uh, visiting every Sunday the church could have 
the common ground with a freedoms party, very liberal party here, supporter. It is the idea to be to find to have some ground, even at different different political spectrum. It's not just individuals who disagree on politics. Governments can strongly disagree too and expose each other to harsh rhetoric. And in situations like that, it can be quite a struggle for a government to make the society resilient. According to Lisa, it's important that all countries that are trapped in this situation collaborate internationally. This could be through established systems for dialogue, like the United Nations, for example. Countries like Finland, at least, is dependent on what happens in the international organizations. For example, United Nations. If that system is not working, it will be very bad for small countries, for countries who believe in rule of law, in having uh, equal opportunities, in defending uh, good life for everybody, whether it's water or education for children or saving, uh, you know, earth from the climate change or something. So so I think uh, resilient society defends these values also outside the country when they work internationally with other countries because together we are stronger and there are always somebody who who wants to spoil the whole international system and it's not good for us. As we've heard today, it can be an uphill struggle to create resilient societies. And for sure, it takes time to create a strong civil defence. But as Lurinus pointed out at the beginning, we can all play an important part chipping in with the skills we each have as individuals. So maybe each one of us should give this a thought. How can we contribute to making our society more resilient? Our contribution could be that little thing that makes a big difference. Check out our website, nordictalks.com, and meet the people participating in each episode. I'm Josefine Folkvarts. Thanks for listening.